want to open with uh, reading a psalm. I'm going to read the whole thing. I think I've already read a few parts of it uh, here and there over the last few weeks. Psalm 139, if you'd like to read along with me, or you can just listen. It says, O Lord, you have searched me and know me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. You searcheth out my path and my laying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say surely the darkness will cover me and the light around me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day for darkness is as light with you. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of the days that were formed for me, as yet there was none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O Lord! How vast is the sum of them! If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake, and I am still with you. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. O men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with malice intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. Search me, O God. And know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. That is a truly beautiful song that we have if we read through this, no doubt snippets of that come to mind over and over again. You've probably heard as long as you've been involved with serving the Lord. And I thought that would set us in a uh, proper frame today because we've been discussing what it means to have a proper view of God. The idea that we need to understand and see God for who he really is, not who we've made him into be or who we have allowed him to be, but for actually who and what he is in the world. And this is a beautiful psalm, a beautiful chapter that really defines and gives us good guidance for what it means to know God. As we have reviewed the last few weeks, we've talked about how incomprehensible God is. We've talked about some of his attributes, which are things that he reveals about himself. We've talked about how he is self-sufficient. The scriptures tell us that he, the Father, has life in himself. We've talked about how he is eternal and how hard that is for us to understand. He's from everlasting to everlasting, without end and without beginning. We've talked about how God is infinite and that he, ha- he is limitless. We've talked about how he is immutable, which means he never changes. 
It's the same yesterday, today, and forever. We talked about how he has omniscience, which means he knows absolutely everything, perfect knowledge. He doesn't forget anything. He doesn't learn anything either because he already knows everything. We talked about how he is self-existence, that he has no origin. And so when we ask ourselves, where does God come from? It's to start with the false premise because God simply was and is. And so today I want to look at a few more things about God to help us understand who he is and what he is. And by that, we can learn how we should respond to him. So the next one I want to talk about is God is wisdom. God is wisdom. Of course, we have to define what wisdom is. There is a difference between wisdom and knowledge. I have down here as an easy definition, uh, wisdom is the ability to discern what is true, right, and lasting. The ability to discern what is true, right, and lasting. And to support this, we see Psalms 147 and 5 says, His understanding is infinite. So God's understanding is infinite. We've already talked about that He is infinite, which means it goes without end. And so we can say that he is, in fact, wisdom. His understanding, his knowledge, his ability to discern what is right, what is true, and what is lasting. And wisdom gives us and gives God specifically this ability to see everything in focus, to understand the beginning, the middle, and the end part, and then to act appropriately. This is something we want to do in our lives. We want to understand, we want to go to this place, how to get there. We want to order our lives so that we can fulfill some type of goal. And that is exactly what God is in his infinite wisdom. He can focus on the beginning and the end with flawless perfection. So let me just give you a quick example, kind of break it down a little bit. Uh, I, I mentioned that knowledge is different than wisdom. And I think I've said this before, that if you're driving a car and you see the light turn red in the direction that you're traveling, knowledge tells you you should stop. Nobody shook their head. Okay, knowledge says, maybe not in this county. Knowledge says you should stop when you see the red light, all right? Wisdom tells you how hard to push on the brakes, when to start pushing on the brakes, how quickly to push on the brakes, etc., etc., right? So that's the difference in a worldly method between knowledge and wisdom. And if you have ever, if you recall when you learned to drive, or maybe when you drove a new car, or you've been with someone who's learned to drive, they may know instantly, oh, red light means stop, but the ability to like gently get that just right takes some wisdom, right? And we see that experience that comes with time in general. We talk about a skill like that. To not just slam on your brakes and stop, you know, three car lengths short of the light or to not stop quick enough and unfortunately stop three car lengths into the intersection, right? But also to be aware that people are behind you and they might be following too closely. So I think you understand the idea of wisdom um, that is there. And so when we talk about God being wisdom, Right? Again, this is not just a separate part of him. He is, in fact, wisdom. And if we want wisdom for our lives, and I'm not really talking about stopping at a traffic light now, I'm talking about how we manage our lives. Right? How we perceive and know things 
but how we imply wisdom in our lives to get to where we're going, to do what we're doing, to not do certain things. How do we choose how to live? That comes down to wisdom based on the knowledge of the things that we see around us. And if we want to do that well, then we should go to the one who is wisdom and who gives wisdom to us. Because the reality is, if God is infinitely wise, which he is, it begs a very important question. Why do I rely on my own wisdom and not on his? And maybe it's because every other thing in life that we do physically, again, going back to the vehicle example, I feel like I have some control over that. I can learn to do this better. I can apply it myself. I can do it the way that I want to. But when we talk about spiritual wisdom, discerning what it is that God wants us to do and then doing that, we cannot do that on our own very well unless he departs some of his wisdom to us. And so we are constantly trying to do things on our own, in our own wisdom, thinking somehow that we are wiser than God. But God is infinitely wise, and we really should stop relying on ourselves to try and reach wisdom. Because here's the reality. We really don't know what we're doing. We're really not as wise as we think we are. We need wisdom from the one who was wise to know how to live. And the beautiful part of that is God actually wants to do that for us. You see, again, we understand and we talk about who God is, that yes, God is infinite. God is self-existence. God is all-powerful. God is all of these things, but God has voluntarily chosen to live in us, to commune with us, to Give us his wisdom so that we actually know how to live. So I don't have to guess every day what I should do or when I should do it. God offers us not only eternal happiness through salvation, but he actually offers to help us manage our lives, to give us the wisdom to know what we should do and what we shouldn't do. Let me read Isaiah 42. In verse 16, give you an example. Isaiah 42 and 16 says, And I will lead the blind in the way that they know not. In paths that they have not known, I will guide them. I will turn the darkness before them into light, the rough places into level ground. These are the things I do, and I do not forsake them. We can read the scriptures, we can know the scriptures, and we can know the things that God has told us to do. To love him with all of our heart, soul, strength, and mind. To love our neighbors as ourselves. To love justice, be humble, love mercy. But how we do those things, that's going from knowledge to wisdom. And we have to do those things every day. This isn't a one-time thing. We're not just like playing, I'm going to be like, do this thing once. It's something we must do every single day. It's something we must depend on every single day. When someone comes to us, whether it's with joy or with a problem or just to say hi, we have to have the wisdom to actually know how to respond to them. And we can trust on our own wisdom or we can trust that God is going to do what he says here. He will lead us when we are blind. He will make our path 
flat if we would but follow him. Now, if you read the 17th verse, same chapter of Isaiah 42, it gives us a parallel. It says, um, they are turned back and utterly put to shame who trust in carved idols, who say to metal images, you are our gods. And again, I thought that was important because that goes right back to where we were at a few weeks ago with the first chapter of Romans. We probably no longer today have metal carved uh, metal idols or carved images that we bow down to. But the idea that we bow down to our own logic, to our own wisdom, to our own strength, to our own power, rather than to that of God, happens all the time. And we get turned back, as the book of Isaiah says, and utterly put to shame. It goes back exactly to Romans chapter 1, where we begin to be wise in our own minds and trust ourselves instead of trusting on the one who is wisdom. I have another quote I'd like to read you again today. I'm doing that a bit more than usual, but there's a reason for it. I'm talking about wisdom. It says, With the goodness of God to desire our highest welfare, the wisdom of God to plan it, and the power of God to achieve it, what do we lack? Let me read that again. With the goodness of God to desire our highest welfare, the wisdom of God to plan it, and the power of God to achieve it, what do we lack? The answer is nothing. Our highest welfare. Does that mean we get everything we want? No. Does it mean we get everything the way that we want it? No. Here's the bigger question. Do we get what we want when we want it? Absolutely not. But my highest welfare, in other words, the thing that God wants from me, may not be the thing that I want most for myself. And I struggle with this all my life, and no doubt you do as well. But God's goodness desires what is good for me. And that may be a difficult road. That could be a physical issue. It could be that you're not financially wealthy. It could be any number of things that we wouldn't think are good things. But if it's what God wants for you and brings you close to him, then it is a good thing. And so we can depend on whatever it is that he gives us. And through his wisdom to plan that out according to how he would do it, And with his power, it will come to an end. And the question is, again, what do we lack? I feel, though, having read that and having knowing that, I spend my whole life ignoring it at best, and at worst, I actively fight against it. What does God want you to do? In his wisdom... In his time and his method and his technique and his plan, what is it that he wants you to do? And are you fighting against it? Let's just real quick, not to make this too simple, go back to the car example. Generally, they want you to have very nice, smooth, predictable, you know, driving. I remember in my former career, I had to set something on a dash and drive through an obstacle course without it rolling away. 
And the goal behind that was for me to be in control, to be smooth driving. I had a goal. I had to start here. I had to get there. And I had a method for getting there. And I had to use, again, earthly wisdom to know how to apply, where to turn, how much brakes to use, how much brakes to let off of, how much gas to put on, all these different things to try and get to that goal. Brothers and sisters, I don't know the specific goal that God has for your life. But what I do know is whatever it is, if you are not depending on his wisdom to help you know how to get there, you're not going to get there successfully. You're going to brake too hard when you should have applied the gas. In other words, you're going to pull back on something when God really wanted you to go forward, even if it might seem counterintuitive to you because you're not as wise as he is. You're going to turn to the left or to the right too sharply. And maybe you should have been a little more easy with that conversation. And yet at other times you should have been sharp. The only way to know how to do this is to not depend on ourselves, but depend on his wisdom and to truly believe that he has the wisdom, that he has the power, and that he desires a good thing for us. The good news as repeatedly through the scripture, we're told that we can get God's wisdom. And all we have to do is ask. It's hard to pick a verse. James 1.5 does say this. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. You just have to ask. That's the easy part. You know the hard part? doing it. (laughs) The hard part can be doing it. So when we have daily questions about what we should do, where we should go, how we should act, who we should talk to, what we should read, all those things are a part of wisdom. And we should be seeking God for that because he is wisdom. I want to shift gears slightly and go back to some of our omni words, omni meaning all. And so the next concept I want to talk about for God is that he is omnipotent. Omnipotent. That means he has all power. All power that there is to have, he has. Just like we talked about how he is omniscient, that he knows all things, he has all power. Psalm 62, 11 says, power belongs to God. Romans 1 and 20, going back to our original opening chapter from a few weeks ago, it says, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived. His eternal power. Eternal meaning without end and without beginning. So this is something that God has, and because God is infinite, His power is infinite. There is nothing greater or more powerful than God. Absolutely nothing. There is nothing that can overcome him. Now, Satan thinks that he's wrong. Satan thinks that he can do it, but he can't. He's wrong. Because if you remember, who created Satan? Well, God did. So who, therefore, has power over Satan? God does. God's power is infinite, and he has limitless power. And when we say it's limitless, that also means that there's nothing harder for God or easier for God. Think about that for just a minute. 
If he has the limitless power to speak the physical world into creation, that didn't take extra work for him. That was as simple, and I'm going to be kind of cliche, that's as simple as praying for God to help you pass a test and passing it. It takes no more effort for God to make the world than to help you remember something for a test and do well. It's the same thing to him because he has all power. So is there anything too hard for God? No. Is there anything that we can ask for that he can't do? No. Are there things we ask for that he doesn't do? Yes. It's not the same thing. And so when we come boldly before the throne, which the scripture tells us that we can and should do, and we pray and genuinely ask for blessings, let us do it with the confidence, knowing that he has all power to answer anything that we could possibly even think of. He can do anything because he has all power. So if he can help us pass a test, and he can make the world. It didn't take any more effort or any more power to do one or the other. In the same way, when we talk about how he saves a sinner, when he saves someone who is living in sin, who does not have their faith in him, until that moment that they do, it can be the most horrible person by our standards who has ever lived. Does it take any more of Christ's blood to save that person than it does to save the most air quotes here, best person who's ever lived. No, it's the same thing. And so anyone who is hearing my voice, who thinks there's no way that God could possibly save me because I have been such a sinner. It's just like I said before, it doesn't matter. It takes no more power for him to save you than it does for him to save someone who grew up in church and has done almost everything right. And from the outward seems to be like a quote, good person. It's the same thing to God. That is encouraging to us. For those who think that they're too far gone, you're not outside of God's power. It's no more difficult to forgive someone who's lived a horrible life than someone who's lived a, quote, good life. It's also important to remember that no matter what we do in the future, once you've been saved, he's never going to let you out of his grasp. He has all power. And when he seals you, the scripture says, until the day of redemption, you are sealed and nothing I'm going to do is going to change God's powerful seal on me. I have been forgiven. It is not a license to go out and live like I want to, but it is the confidence to know that even when I mess up, nothing I'm going to do is going to make God lose his power or make him have to apply something again to my life. It is done once and for all. God has all power. 2 Corinthians 12 and 9 says, Therefore I will boast all the more gladly in my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Now think about that for just a minute. So many of you have grown up in church. We've heard the scripture so many times. But I think it takes some extra effort sometimes for us to open ourselves to what the Spirit wants to reveal to us. I will boast the more gladly in my weaknesses, 
so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. What does this passage teach us? It teaches us that if we want the power of God, the absolute limitless, all-powerful nature of God to be in us, to work in us, for us to will and to act according to his good pleasure, that we have to quit relying on myself and rely solely on his power that is infinite and without measure. And what do I want to do? Well, I want to rely on myself. Because over and over again, I've tried that and seems to have worked out okay in some areas. And in other areas where God has stepped in and helped me, I misapply it to my own strength and my own wisdom. God is all-powerful. He's omnipotent. I'm going to do one final omni-word, if you will, all-encompassing word. The next concept, God's omnipresence. So he mentioned he's omnipotent, all-powerful. But he's also everywhere at all times. That's omnipresence, all-presence. This is very similar to the idea that he is omniscient, that he knows everything. But there is this idea, and we've already talked about several verses, so I'll be brief here, where God is everywhere at all times. Psalms 33 and 13 says, The Lord looks down from the heaven. He sees the children of man from where he sits enthroned. He looks on all the inhabitants of the earth. Now, I want to pause there and just say that this verse is true. God is above and outside of the earth. His throne in the heavens, he looks down upon the earth. But he is also here with us in the form of his Holy Spirit. To say that God is on high in heaven does not and cannot diminish the fact that he is actually still here with us in presence. His infinitude, the fact that he is infinite, surrounds a finite creation and contains us. So there literally is nowhere on earth or anywhere that I can physically get to that is outside of God's presence. I can hide in my house and God is there. I can be closed off in my car and God is there. I can close off everything around me and just think something in my mind and God is there present with me. And that should make us rethink what we do every minute of every single day. Maybe you as a kid either heard this or as an adult have said this to someone who's younger. I think we should say it to ourselves when we're older. Would you act that way if your mother was here? Or your grandmother? Or pick somebody that you hold in high regard in your family that's important to you. The reality is, God is right behind me and next to me and in front of me and in me. God is everywhere. That is part of who God is. And so next time you think nobody's there and nobody sees, nobody hears, nobody knows, God knows. 
God knows everything because he is everywhere. There is no place we can go beyond him. Now, this is a comforting thought to those of us who experience times of brokenness, disappointment, abandonment, when we feel cast down and far away. The reality is we are not far away from God because he is here with us. And all we have to do when we feel like God is far away is empty ourselves of our own pride, our own ambitions, and simply come to him and say, God, I know you're here. I want you to help me. I want to feel you. I want to see you. I want to know you. And God doesn't have to like come from a far away. He's already here. And as I alluded to, those who are engaging in some type of sin, those who are haters of God, to use the scriptures, those who are unwise, those who are foolish, those who are depraved, those who are proud, God's right there. You're not hiding anything from him. And so at the same time, in the same way, just as God can be just and loving, The presence of God can be comforting when we need his comforting presence, and it can also be condemning when we ought to be condemned for what it is that we are doing. Nothing is done in secret, and you are never alone. Which way that has power for you this morning? I don't know. Maybe you need to be reminded that you are not alone not abandoned, not forgotten. Or maybe you need to be reminded that God saw you yesterday, all day, every single moment. Proverbs 15 and 29 sums this up very nicely. 15 and 29, it says, The Lord is far from the wicked, but he hears the prayers of the righteous. Where can you flee from his presence? You can't. Again, I read earlier, Psalms 139, it says, If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you, the night is as bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. See, the scripture tells us, and we know from experience, I actually know from great amount of experience, working on night shift for many years, that people somehow think that darkness hides them. And to a certain degree, from an earthly perspective, they're right. But the reality is there is no darkness that can hide you. There is nothing you can do to be separated. God is there. And we simply fool ourselves into somehow thinking that God doesn't see us because he's not with us. This is a serious, serious problem and a serious underestimation of who God is. So let me come to a close this morning. And I want us to consider how we live like these three things don't actually exist. Like these are not part of what God is. Let me give you an example. We seek after our own wisdom rather than the one who is wise. And we do it all the time. We trust ourselves. And maybe some of us even just trust other people more than we go to the one who is wisdom. 
We also seek after our own power rather than understanding that God is all-powerful. And we pretend like God isn't around. We seek after our own wisdom. We seek after our own power, and we pretend like God isn't around. Do you see what having a low view, an inappropriate view, when we bring God down to our level, or just maybe slightly above, what happens to us? We don't have the proper reverence or worship for God. And what does that lead to? We'll go back to Romans chapter 1. At least a foolish thinking and a dark heart and sin, and on and on and on, until God gives us up and gives us over. We must have a proper view of God. We must hold Him and understand Him in the reverence that He deserves, because He is all-powerful, because He is wisdom. Not just really smart. He is all-wisdom. And He is in all places and is in all ways powerful. That should impact our daily living, moment-by-moment lives. And even if we don't say it out loud, words like, God can't help me, or God doesn't really care, or God doesn't know what I'm doing or thinking, I'm afraid that we functionally live that way. I understand the difference. We may not admit out loud, those of us who are here today, because we go to church and we believe in God. We may not say out loud that I don't believe God's not here. We may not say out loud that God can't do this. We may not say out loud that God doesn't know what I should do. But we live like that every single day, don't we? Yes. Living like that's just as bad as saying it out loud. So we must understand who God is and live our lives appropriate to Him. We must seek His wisdom. His wisdom. Proverbs 4, 7. The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom, and whatever you get, get insight. If you want to be wise, if you want to be able to do more than just recognize this or the other, if you want to know how you should respond, if you want to know what you should do, if you want to know the direction of your life as a whole, or just what you should do tomorrow morning. You must get wisdom. And where do we get that from? From the one who is wisdom. Seek his wisdom. If we want power in our lives, and I don't mean power in the sense of ruling over other people, if we want the very power of God in our lives, then we must seek his power. Job 42 and 2 says, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Again, something else we forget. If God has a goal or a plan for something to happen, it's going to be accomplished with or without me. But I'm going to miss an incredible blessing if I don't go along like I should. And I bet many of us have experienced this. We didn't do something we were supposed to. And it happened anyway. Why? Because that's what God said was going to happen. In his power, in his infinite wisdom, God ordained something to happen. 
And we weren't there to participate or we actively worked against it, but he still accomplished his goal. Why? Because he doesn't need us, but he wants us. Trust in his power. Because we know that God can do whatever he wants. And that there is no purpose of his that can be thwarted or changed or run off track. So we can therefore trust him. And we should seek his presence. 1 Corinthians 3.16 says, Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? I hesitate to keep saying this because I feel like I'm just repeating myself. But I don't know that I fully grasp and that you fully grasp either how important this is. That we truly understand who God is. Because I really think two things happen when we do. When we really understand who he is, those who are sinners, separated, lost from God, will come under amazing condemnation because they will realize that they are at the mercy of an all-powerful, all-knowing, infinite God who is everywhere, who has no beginning, who is self-sustaining, who is all these things we've said and is not happy with them. And those of us who have been saved, who have experienced that opportunity to come to know him, who have put our faith in him, who then understand these things, how will our behavior be? Much better. Why? Because we're doing what he wants us to do. Because we live in fear and reverence of him, a appropriate holy fear, the one that tells us how we should live. And those of us who also know him, who are in a dark time, can go to him and say, God, I know that you're everywhere. I know that you know what the enemies have planned for me. And I don't mean Satan and his minions. I mean the people who are around us who hate us, who mistreat us, who cheat us, who lie to us. God knows he was there when they said it. And he's there when they try and do it. And he's there with you if you know him. And so we can live into something that is so much bigger than us that we can rely on every single day at every moment. Why? Because he lives. Don't you know that you are God's temple, that God's spirit dwells in you? Those of us who are saved can go through life dependent on him to give us wisdom for how we should act, how we should behave, how we should order our lives and receive support and comfort from him to know that he knows the beginning from the end. And he knows the plan he has for you. Uh Uh-oh. May not be the one you want. But he knows it. And he's trying to accomplish it. Not that he can't accomplish it, because he gives us chances over and over and over again for us to voluntarily bend our will to him, the God who is all-powerful, the God who is all-knowing, and the God who is wisdom. And so the question that we have today, the challenge that is set before us is again twofold like it is almost every Sunday. Those who do not know and have not submitted to God's power, you must do that absolutely first. You must 
Understand who you are in relation to him, and you must come to him in faith, giving up any pretense, any thought of holding on to something. Whatever it is that's between you and God, you must lay that down and say, God, have mercy on me. And for those of us who have experienced that, those of us who have found God in faith, who live according to his will, we must Remember who he is. Give him the proper respect and the proper honor for the God who made everything by speaking it into existence, who has all power, who is wisdom, and who is in everything. He is living in you. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. And if you have received him by faith, he will never, ever leave you. And that is good news. That is the essence of the gospel. That is what Jesus Christ came and died to fulfill for us. That we could know the God who's all-powerful and in all places and always wise. And so we have a choice. We walk out of here the same as we walked in or will we think of God as we ought to?